Listeners, welcome back to Hosman FC, a podcast by football nerds for football nerds. I'm Nicola Volpi. This is an LIP production, and I am joined by someone who would like to be reincarnated as a Basque football manager. It's Roy Cycli. Oh, hello, hello. I think I would... I wouldn't be able to be on the pitch if I was a Basque football manager. I'd be eating too much food, but... Too too much ham. Too much ham. I couldn't be doing the... I love those videos of the coaches whenever they they put them on the the team's website of them trying to do the runs to show them what they're trying to do. And then you have some of those coaches like Big Carlo who doesn't do anything. He just points at where, where you should go, where you shouldn't go. Exactly. Quiet leadership, they coined it when he wrote his last autobiography. Well, I don't think this season's going to go too well for the Madrid boys, but... That's a different you think? story. Ah, their formation's terrible. I mean, I know they went playing, too narrow last week. Yeah, yeah, they went so narrow, and they just got exposed by our friend Diego, friend of the podcast El Cholo Simeone. He was inspired by the eleven we made for him, and he used it against Carlo. Yeah, well, their back five this year for Atletico Madrid is just nasty. Yeah, well, it's but it's still got some of the old fighters like Savic and stuff, no? Not really. I mean, I think he, he. I don't think he even played this week. But the okay, the way they set up the team now, they have like the outside backs in the back five are basically midfielders, and the the left center half is the traditional left back. So the when mm-hmm. they go and attack, it just turns into the the horseshoe shape. And then it just comes right back in. So you can't really go down the um, down the sides or play through the middle because they suffocate you from that. Simeone reinventing himself yet again in year 12 or 13 of managing that club. It's insane. Have you seen in, while we're on the Liga, and this is going to be spoiler alert, a La Liga heavy pot episode. Have Definitely. you seen who's at the top of the league right now in the Liga? Girona. Girona. Can you believe it? The other Catalan team. No, I can't believe it as well. I mean, that's that's impressive. I know what we're seven, eight games into the season, but that would be a team it's quite if, cool. Before we start, I look at that and say relegation battle candidate right there. And they're top of the league. Easy. Yeah. And they've only been back in La Liga or in La Liga for the past two, three seasons. It's like coming out of nowhere. Really uh could be a cold team, which we discuss in 20 years, but more likely just going to fight for relegation towards the end of the season. Probably, probably. Oh, man. Yeah, but as Roy mentioned, listeners, we got a La Liga heavy episode. Today, we're introducing our concept of cold teams, and we're starting where else but in Spain. Before that, though, Roy, I wanted to hit you with something real quick. Okay. Everywhere I go, I see this man's face. I think I'm in love it's been oh. amazing ever since the summer. Okay. I can't get him out of my head. Yeah. Roy, I think I'm in love with Big Ange Postacoglu. No. Be objective now. I'm in love. Why? Is it the press conferences? Are you falling for that? The the, the, the general demeanor, the, the breath of fresh air, uh, the, the lack of cult of personality subsequently creating one uh it's just i love everything about it big Ange taking the premier league by storm roy and you know you secretly love it no i secretly don't love it what i would have loved is Jorginho over the weekend didn't forget that he was a professional player and lost the ball to give them a goal to have us draw against tottenham 2-2 two, two. that was the the north london that was derby one of the but the ugliest yeah. Derby games that I can think of in a, in several years. I there was just and then maybe maybe credit to to Big Ange for that how he set his team up. Um, I think they they set up quite. I think Arsenal was really like there was a scenario where they could have been up three 0 in the first half, and then they weren't. And Tottenham actually like Spurs had it that second half. I feel like like they really tipped the balance back in their favor, despite you know not playing with a striker or any of these things. Yeah, I think also missing out on a few of Arsenal, our key player, Martinelli, Trossard, both out. And then yeah. Declan Rice coming off at halftime and bringing on the Billy Goat himself, Jorginho, or Borginho, because his play style just bores that 
the hell out of me. Hey, you're Champions League winner and European Cup winner with Italy, despite missing a penalty in the final. And I think for somebody who's that and then with Ballon d'Or 2021 third place finish, I can't name a player in recent history that has made more high profile errors than that guy. I He's not doing it for me. Too, too slow for the new Premier League, huh? He was too slow for the Premier League five years ago. Yeah, well, you know who brought him to Chelsea, right? It was your man, Big Sarri. Yeah, and look where that got him. <laughs> it's coaching Lazio now. <laughs> he ran out of oh, cigarettes man. at uh, yeah, at exactly. Chelsea. I don't think they let him do the cigarettes. I think now he's got like that Swedish uh, snooze packet that is he that sticks that up there. I, mean, I never knew, but it looks like he's almost like a. It looks like the candy cigarettes. Well, my brother once told them they saw him chewing actual cigarettes, but I wasn't able to corroborate that because it's quite disgusting. I mean, the life of a manager. Uh, the life of a manager in the stress of Serie A. Uh, speaking of stress of Serie A, at the moment, despite Milan having gotten crushed in a derby, I'm anticipating your taunts here 5-1 to one by Crosstown rivals Inter. They find themselves even top of the table, second just on goal difference. So I've seen a couple of the Inter games because the Serie A matches are usually later in the day and I have nothing mm-hmm. to do. They don't look very <laughs> impressive. So I I mean, I, the, the, the drubbing that AC Milan got was pretty painful, but it wasn't... Like, it, it, it wasn't too crazy. There were moments where you couldn't really distinguish between the the levels that that popped up i know that big zlatan came into the locker room or to the training field that week and jesus um made it all about him but then you guys came and there was the draw with newcastle and champions league which was a snooze fest unbelievable he tripped over his own feet yeah i think with with inter and milan at the moment it's not even Inter is so much more stacked or depth. There are all these things. Although, although I do think they're they're genuinely more deep, uh, especially in the midfield where we always get injured. What worries me is, apart from the fact that Inter has taken five derbies in a row now, five, is the fact that we've approached every single one in the same way. That's uh, exactly what that's I was... That's the issue. The matchup doesn't work. Your formation it, doesn't work against what Inter's trying to do. And there's no yeah. seemingly plan B. From Pioli. There's, it's just the same, you know, maybe someone's injured. They just go back into the same formation, yeah. the same thing. You can't go with the that formation against what's Inter's playing, the 3-5-2 or whatever the variation totally they agree. have. They overload you, and then there's no outlet ball. And we don't have that same... One, we don't have the same intensity. So Inter is running double-triple, and they're able to do it. And two, we're a team... The way he's built that team, Pioli, the last three, four seasons, is, okay, yes, you could say Leao-dependent, Teo-dependent. The point is transition-dependent. We can't go down 1-2-0 early on and then have to play with the ball. And that's what you saw in the derby. Eventually, then it came back to bite them, and then they also give up. Like, on 3-1, you stay in it, and you shut up shop. I don't care then if you lose 3-1. You do not take two more goals. How are the American boys doing? I think Pulisic, he started very, very nicely. The first two or three matches had also a great connection with Giroud. He's been a bit sleepy the last three or so. Again, we're what, six, seven matches into the season. Musa, I don't think he's played a full match yet. He's also played him more like as a utility guy, so sometimes he's been out wide, etc. He will start playing now because like Krunic and a bunch of the, the midfield is, is picking up knocks. There's so, a lot of injuries see. across all the leagues early this season. Well, surprise, surprise. They've basically played non-stop, yeah, non-stop for like four and years another, now, right? They're adding more international games. It's a joke, honestly, yeah. what they're doing. But there There's another international quote-unquote break coming up in about two weeks yeah, after the time of recording. It's sickening. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we're going to have a Gianni Infantino-inspired Club World Cup with like 32 teams. I don't know where they're going to fit that in, but good on you, UEFA. Yeah. FIFA. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's where we stand. Um, Quick shout out to the, uh, the boys from Lecce. 11 unreal. points. 11 points. Yeah. They've, they've grinded out some results. They're not too far behind. Another team you that I thought 
relegation. But so yeah. far, not doing bad. Was it Sassuolo? Two big wins back to back. Juve four three, and then they just beat Inter this Love last weekend. It. Did you see how Juve oh, lost to Sassuolo? We didn't talk about that. Oh man, the, <laughs> we had to save it for this. The best own goal I have seen. Actually, two great own yeah. goals in that Amazing game. Amazing own goals, like textbook. If you're if you're gonna do an own goal and have it be something so existential little, and want to feel something, this a little bit like match a little match fixie on that last one where he passed it into the open net, but. Match fixing with the Juventus involved? No, they're trying come on, to get out of here. For Why would they do that? Sins. Yeah, exactly. Instead of taking the points penalty, they've reached out an alternative agreement with the Italian Football Federation well, to start I mean, pounding in the own goals. This is not, you know. I hope you know for the integrity of the sport, they get deducted and fleeced at everything, so we can get uh, Vlahovic on a cheap deal at Arsenal because we need a number nine. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> For the integrity of the podcast now, he's just pitching to players yeah. to come to his club. Fantastic. But good, Roy. That's kind of our little mini roundup here. After the break, we're going to come back with Spanish Colt Teams. Listeners, welcome back. We're here and we're here to discuss Colt football soccer teams roy you excited so excited what is a cult team well that is a wonderful question that you and i have not been agreeing on necessarily the last few days to me a cult team is a team that for a certain stretch of time captivates audiences regardless of club affiliations and so forth and does something in some sort of way unprecedented for a period of time that isn't replicated later, right? So that's where then, you know, you see, okay, is, for example, Leicester in 2016 a cult team or is that a flash in the pan which somehow happens and captivates everyone? I don't really know. But a lot of this, I think, for us, when we discuss this, harkens back its nostalgia to a lot of the times while we were growing up. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... From what I gather, you think that a one-season wonder team is not really the cult team, but I would disagree on that. Mm. So I would use Leicester, for example, as you know, a cult team because you can look at that team several years down the road and pick out individual players and instantly kind of think, oh, yeah, that was – remember that yeah. player, remember that time. So Remember when Kante, Mahrez, and Vardy were all on the same team. Yeah, crazy. And who are they managed by? Jean-Claude, Claudio Ranieri, who honestly, like low-key, I don't think gets nearly enough credit for that season. Nobody talks about the fact that Ranieri was managing them other than to make a little comedy about his press conferences. Yeah, and then he brought out, when they won the league, with the, was it Andrea Bocelli? Yeah, Bocelli, the, onto the pitch. That was very nice. That was a very nice moment. That was a yeah. very painful season for me as an Arsenal fan. But Yeah, um, the last great chance. Another, maybe a cult manager, if you will. Yeah, I is think he so. Still, is he in Serie A right now, or did he officially retire? No, at the time of recording, well, he got Cagliari promoted last season, and I saw him coaching Cagliari against Milan the other night. He's still there. Was that his first smiling. job? His it was his coaching? first job. So he came like full circle, I think, after about 40 years of coaching uh, around the world. world. Yeah. Uh, a legend. Unrelated. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, unrelated. This is not has nothing to do with La Liga, but have you seen <laughs> Neil Warnock? Legend. retired. Legend. I mean, poor did you out. see? Did you see what they, when they, the, the Stoke City away fans cheering him off? No. They were calling him a wanker. Uh, he loves it. And he loved it. He was like cheering them and like giving them the prayer hands emojis. And, and he loved Warner. it. He, he was absolutely legend. But anyway, back a to mediocre, that. A true mediocre legend that becomes a legend simply by sticking around the barbershop long enough, right? Like, oh, looks like a pigeon. <laughs> yeah. Well, but anyways, this is not about Neil Warnock today, Roy. It's Spanish cult teams. And in preparing the episode, like I posed to you the question, why do we start with Spain? Is it maybe the league with the most cult clubs? 
I would say possibly just because of the disparity between Real Madrid and Barcelona yeah. versus the rest of the league. Really, the money and the talent, the everything, Galacticos, you have La Masia, the, there's no room for anybody else. So any team that can, you know, for one season at least, make a name for them, take away the league, make a run in the Champions League that Real Madrid or Barcelona mm-hmm. cannot, mm-hmm. it just sets up for a great a great story because again yeah. anyone i think it's the most boring league out of the big five even at um, the moment even at the moment there's yeah. nothing have you have you actually sit and watch the league of games the matches the big ones only to be honest i watched the other weekend sociedad my boys versus real madrid yeah and it became the first half was great end to end second half everybody's on the floor rolling around trying to get yeah. the yellow card, the red card for the other player. It, and that was supposed to be like what the commentator was saying, like one of the best matches of the season. Right. I'm not having it. There's no way that's, you're going to tell me that was one of the best matches of the season. There's no fluidity to the match. There's so many, the players still go up to the ref, surround the ref. and Yeah, a lot of pressure. Yeah. A so. lot of pressure. And I think, and that's a bit also what, what you see in City Eyes. All of this takes away from, from the intensity of the actual football on the pitch and from, from the actual end product, right? And that's why like we migrate to just watching a lot more Premier League than we do, uh, yeah. than we do these other leagues. Uh, unfortunately, to an extent, because in Spain, a big part of you know that cult status is this patchwork of autonomous regions where these really strong regional identities are oftentimes reflected in the clubs, right? Yeah. You, you have the power at, at Real Madrid. You have Barca, which is essentially the Catalan national team. But then you have the Basque clubs. For example, Athletic Bilbao, we always discuss the only the third team to have never been relegated, who only has national Basque players. Yeah. It. No, uh, I, I mean, it's crazy. And then you have teams like Barcelona, they... They wear. They don't even wear the Spanish flag. I think exactly. Um, they the armband, the captain's armband, is the Catalonian flag. So yeah, and I think that's what what sets up for for such a great discussion around these these couple teams we've brought here is because this disparity in power in money. Just whenever there's somebody that makes a challenge against it, and in recent times it's been Atletico, uh, but before it used to be many others that could. But do that's it. not really yeah. it. Atletico doesn't, in my mind, doesn't work. No, it, because it's still the, the capital team, right? Yeah, yeah, capital team and the amount of money they have. Diego Simeone was the highest paid manager in world football for, I don't know how many years. He, he still True. might be the True. the most like expensive manager. So it's not like a, a plucky underdog story. They spend a lot of money to bring in the players they want. I think they spent... You know, this is like several years ago, back in 2016, 17, uh, like north of 70 million for Thomas Lamar. Yeah. So yeah. players like that, they have a lot. Oh, the Joao Felix uh, fiasco. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. yeah Griezmann the, coming back and forth. Works. I mean, yeah. And I think that's that's maybe where the, and we've discussed Cholo quite a bit, where in a way the the propaganda has worked wonders because the perception is by many that they're the plucky upstart versus the guys across the street. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that I would consider that it's, it's, it's strange. Like it's a lot harder. I think to have a recent, I'm talking the last five, six years club Mm -hmm. in that league say, wow, that's a cult team that they really did something for an extended period of time. So that's why I'm going with a one season as the the floor of like this was a cult season or a cult team for a little bit right. to disrupt and ultimately make the two giants retool and rethink for the next year. Yeah, it can't just be what we've seen in recent years: Betis winning the Copa del Rey or Real Sociedad winning the Copa del Rey. Right? It needs to be something extended where they're challenging the power structures and, like you said, making them rethink and, and changing the game along the way. And for that, we've brought. Two incredible cold sides. Uh, and Roy, I'm going to let you take it from here. The 2005 Real Madrid Galacticos. Jesus Christ, you're such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm starting with a beautiful 
beautiful city in Spain. I don't know how they're a footballing city because when I was there, we were out till four or five in the morning every every night, and that was early considered. We would leave the, the <laughs> bars, the clubs early. And I'm talking about Valencia. Oh, have you, my. have you been? Have you been? I, I haven't been there. No. One of my favorite. Like I'm going to sound like a, a snob, but I've been to several cities in Spain, and yeah, it's got to be up there as one of the best. Did you go to um, Sevilla? I did. Loved and it. you prefer Sevilla or Valencia? Valencia. Okay, because I love it, Sevilla. So uh, Valencia was just wonderful. The, the food, vibes. the vibes, the weather. Did I already mention the food? Well, yeah, the, the, food. the beach, they invented they the paella, man. They invented it. They're very proud to say it as well. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the city doesn't sleep. It's really weird. They have a lot of uh, events, you know, throughout the year that are just uh-huh. crazy. That as an American, when they're explaining like some of these, uh, like everybody shoots fireworks on a certain day, it's like going through that. That would never. <laughs> never happen it's like a, a full week of them doing something like this like this is this is wonderful oh man um, love it valencia vibe city vibe city and the vibe run of the club so like most clubs i think in la liga um they have a a history of just tragedy going up and down in in terms of the league table mm-hmm. through the 80s up until the 90s they got the i think they're they're come up under Gus Hiddink. I think that was his name. Ah, Gus Hiddink was at Valencia, yeah. He was in the early 90s, so setting the groundwork for what would be and what we were saying, or maybe you just said, uh, a Copa del Rey or a cup is not enough to solidify mm-hmm. a club being a cult status. But in 1998-99 season, they did win the Copa del Rey mm-hmm. under the which manager would you would you say unbelievable Claudio Ranieri <laughs> not other not other so I, I'm assuming when you win the Copa del Rey you get qualification at the time into the into the Champions League so that that's the first let's just say 1998-99 mm-hmm. that yeah. is the start of Valencia and the run that they're going to make through 2000, 2003 mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so they start, let's just recap. They start off with a Copa del Rey winner in 99. Yeah. And next yeah. year, they're coming back with basically the same squad. A lot of these local lads, actually. So the goalie was a Valencia through and through. So a lot of players, or a lot of people might think Iker Casillas, you know, with Real Madrid, this goalie was about the same. I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to do it. Santi but, Canizares, who was actually Casillas' backup for all those years on Spain afterwards. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, just looking at some of the saves and highlights, I was wondering, like, really, is it the personality that makes Casillas start over uh-huh. this guy? And, and he had cup, a little maybe. bit of a, a little bit of the crazy goalie uh, wiring, <laughs> as some of them may have. So that could also play a part. I'm not sure if that bleach blonde hair was uh, <laughs> was natural or not. Uh, no, I, I can I can confirm it wasn't natural. Uh, it up in every direction. Yeah, exactly. It changed so, color every other season. Yeah. So then the, the next year, still under Ranieri, they won the Spanish Super Cup. But mm-hmm. this is where it gets good. They make it all the way to the Champions League final against none other but Real Madrid. Unbelievable. They get smoked 3-0 yeah. in that final. But from for that team making it there in 2000, this is you know, pre, I guess, the Galacticos prime. But you did have some good players there still in the 2000 year with Real Madrid. Yeah. But to make it to the final for a club that, you know, 10 years ago was on the brink of just going going to the second division. They were not doing well. Mm-hmm. Fans were really not thrilled with the, the team. That's a pretty big transformation. That's, um, it's insane. This is one thing I, I forgot to mention when I talked about Valencia. So in my mind, I was like, "Oh, I I want to go see like the stadium. I'm gonna I'm imagining they're gonna have a lot of you know a pair." It was very hard to to uh-huh. see anything when I was there. Like that was Valencia stores, flags, merch, okay. people wearing jerseys. So I thought, "Wow, maybe it's not a a footballing 
a footballing city, footballing heritage. Mm-hmm. Then I look up online in La Liga, they're the third most mm-hmm. active season member, like season ticket members. With a so huge have, stadium. Yeah, huge stadium. But they have 50,000 members. That's exactly. massive. Yeah. So Spain's then, third biggest city, right? So it, it kind of follows that in the end. Yeah, you would think. But I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have got that from the vibes the city was okay. giving. But, um, but anyway, coming back to it. So it's the third biggest city. But they still made it to the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, what do they do? They come back the next year. They, they they qualified for Champions League again, and they retool the team, improve it a little bit, like most do. And we've seen this with a couple of clubs recently. Think Liverpool when they made mm-hmm. it to the final, lost, came back, won. Yeah, um, you know they make it back to the Champions League final the next year, and this is in you know two thousand one, the two thousand and one season they beat. Arsenal and the quarterfinals mm-hmm. leads in the semifinals. A huge leads to, team with real Fulham and team. Robbie Keane. Yeah, and think about over two two legs too. So yeah. they go and they play Bayern in two thousand and one in that final. Did you know what and, happens? How they lose in that one? Spoiler alert: They lost. They're in San Siro and they lose on penalties against Oliver Kahn. Yeah, penalties all the and. Not only that, they would have had a chance to win it in extra time with like a mm. minute to go. So one of those gut-wrenching stories. So, but with that, that's the end of the season there. So what do you? what's the price you pay for that? Making that run, they don't have Champions League the next year. They, they, and this is like the worst part of this whole story. So Champions League final is after the final day of the season. To get qualification for Champions League yeah. on the final day, they just needed a single point. And oh, they concede God. a goal at oh, the no. death in the no. 90th minute. No. To go 3 2. So, boom, there goes the Champions League, the money, which probably not as incredible as the money they get now, but still quite significant. All um, in one week. All in one week. So, oh. we've, you know, that's, that's tough. That's, that's a that's a men- hurts, that's a man. mental monster right there. Yeah. Um, so you know, outsteps Renieri. He goes on to probably to Atletico Madrid actually. Oh, yeah. At the time. Madrid. Yeah. And he stayed in Spain a little probably, while longer. He probably stayed there and then went to like twenty clubs after. But um, I don't remember so- if he goes straight to. I think he goes to Atletico. Gets sacked quickly takes the Chelsea job because he's the last Chelsea manager pre-Mourinho and then eventually he works his way back to Spain and Italy. <laughs> and then back to uh, back to the English league. Back but, to Leicester. Um, so who, who comes in at a time like this? A club that's gotten so close to the top. European, you know, under a good manager. What are you going to do? You have players that are probably in their prime in steps a young Rafa Benitez in the 2001 season. A young but already old-looking Rafa old Benitez, looking. might I add. Old-looking. And just for listeners, when you think of Rafa Benitez, he probably looked exactly the same. Uh, he actually started his <laughs> coaching player, career. He even looked like that. As a player. Well, his playing career wasn't that great. I mean, he, he started coaching when he was 26 years old. So something went wrong. Probably his health. To, his, to his be coaching at not have been able to hold him. But leading up to that, he'd coached the Real Madrid U17s, their B team, a couple of smaller clubs in in La Liga. But because a, he, he's a Madrid guy originally, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. he's a okay. Madrid guy. So um, Tenerife was the last club he had coached before he did some magic with that team. So they mm-hmm. probably thought, hey. Young coach, new philosophy. Let's try it out. And Nick, do you know what his philosophy was? Probably that he was better than anybody that had coached before him. Something he, along those lines. He wanted to switch to a four-two-three-one. Aha! Uh-huh. And this is where everybody in European football was doing four-four-two. Yeah. So he had switched that. And he was, you know, he's always been known for his little tactics and all of that. But you have to get buy-in from the players. And so this is what I really love. Their goalie has a quote that says, this is how Rafa won them over. 
you come from the Champions League final and I come from the Segunda division, but I humbly think I have the tools to make you improve. That was the first thing he had told the players. And I don't know how that gets you the buy-in, but... Humbly. Humbly. He threw in humbly. Humbly have the tools. He's the next player, so maybe they bought it, but... Oh, man. Um, he really was, with that change, they didn't score a lot of goals, but they were grinding out 1-0, 2-0, 1-0. They didn't yeah. concede many goals at all. And but so also, for- very interesting that at that moment in time, a team that goes to two straight Champions League finals, so one of the bigger clubs in Europe at the moment, takes an unproven manager. They probably could have had their pick. Yeah, but I think that's where this gets interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they had the money that all mm. these other clubs pro- or these managers, these proven managers, they want. You know, they might think, oh, the ride's almost over. They made it to two. They're going to have to sell. They're not in Champions League every year, so they don't have that consistent income coming in. Um, so that's the 2001-2002 season. So what does he do And his first season in charge? Win the league. The With a new thing. formation, you know, they, they win the league pretty with, I think, three games to go, which is quite impressive. Against uh, the Galacticos. Yeah, that's when they started. They started ramping. They yeah. started the, 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 the bad boys coming in. Exactly. And, you know, they goes to the next year, 2002-2003. Horrible year. They lost the league by 18 points, 18 points behind the leader. So I guess they weren't even losing the league. Right. Um, and that's the story that's, you know, tales old as time. You see it right now with Lens in France. They make the Champions League for the first time. They got runner-up last year in Liga. And they are, I think, almost bottom of the league. They can't score a goal. They can't do anything because they're in an, an additional competition. Spread and they didn't retool the team in a way that they can handle those extra matches. So that's, I think the same thing that happened in that season. And so everyone starts to, you know, Oh, that was a one season wonder. We need new players. We need, you know, we need a more attractive way of playing. So he comes back and sorry, before I go there, the pain for these Valencia fans, the highs and lows, they miss out on champions league on the final day again by a point. They needed a point, and they okay. couldn't get it. They oh, lose. My. They miss out on a point. So 2003 and four, and again, I Volpe, you can pull up that Real Madrid squad if you want, but they come <laughs> back in 2003 and four, and they win La Liga again. So while Madrid, and I'm not even talking about Barca, Madrid spending... I don't know how many millions on these world star, world class players. Rafa Benitez comes in and wins La Liga again. And this is where you think this is it. We found the formula. We've got a coach. We can, we're going to give him everything that he needs. He's pulling the best out of these players. We still have players that are in their prime from the back. Up, we have some young p- players coming through. Let's say David Silva, David Villa. These guys were just coming on the scene, mm-hmm. 2004, 2005. So that's how you do the the changing of the guard at the same time. But what does what happens with the club president and Benitez? They disagree on the mm-hmm. tactics for the team. So oh, Benitez wow. leaves. He leaves at the top and goes to Liverpool, where. You know, he starts to then bring some of his boys over with him over the next couple of years. Well, next couple of years, in his first season at Liverpool, lest I remind you, and lest I remind all Milan supporters, he wins the big ears. Yeah. Right away. Right away. So Unreal. So that's where I think everybody, as a Valencia fan, 2003-4, they're like, what the hell are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. So what does the club president do? 
He brings black brings back Claudio Ranieri. Yes, he does. And he gets sacked so- shortly afterwards for really, really bad performances. Oh man, um, Claudio, Claudio. And so that goes to managers turnover, turnover. Mm-hmm. But then in 2006, they to win the fans over. They say, "Hey, we're going to build the new Mestia Stadium. It's going to hold." 80 plus, 80,000 plus people. And you're like, wow, the new Mestia is going to be beautiful. Yeah. So it was unveiled in November 10th, 2006. It's going to have a planned capacity around 80,000. It would have been the third largest stadium in world football. So what happened in the around the world, Nick, around 2007 when people were building homes and <laughs> – the they homes put a didn't lot get of money. Built. It would it would have cost an estimated three hundred million at, in two thousand and seven. So today that's probably like close to a billion dollars with inflation. But they uh, they they begin working on the stadium and they say, "Oh, we are in a little bit of financial distress and turmoil, and we've been using a lot of these funds to put into this stadium, and the financial crisis of oh seven oh eight hits." So you have this stadium that's going to be a state-of-the-art 80,000-seater. Um, it was supposed to be done by the 2009-10 season, but because there was no money and there was nothing to happen, like they couldn't do anything with the stadium. So it was yeah. supposed to take Valencia to the next level, right? You have a bigger stadium, more fans, more revenue. You can host other events if you want in this place. That never happened. So this is about... Again, 80, keep this number in mind, 80,000. 80,000. The club, let's talk about the players. They start to phase them out. They have fans getting a little upset, 2006, 7, 8. They're doing okay. They're not winning anything. They're making Champions League every now and then. They have some young players coming in. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about David Villa, uh, David, David Silva. David Villa being one of their most prolific strikers of all time. He was um, sick. He was good. Um, and they're thinking, hey, we're going to retool around our young core now. Um, that never happened. So let's flash <laughs> forward to 2013. Valencia, they've announced a redesign of the stadium, which is already half built. The concrete foundations are there. Mm-hmm. And In the middle of the city. In the middle of the city. <laughs> it's like, but we have to reduce the capacity down because we don't have the money. And we're going to do 61500 um, they also reduced the, everything from the design around the buildings. They're like, okay, 61,000, we're good to go. 2013. So flash forward to 2017, nothing had happened. And they've now come back with another proposal. Come we're going to open up the stadium at 50,000 seats. <laughs> so all of that. And you know, flash forward to current day, they're 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 not there at all. Like they're it's just an unfinished stadium. They're and still in the old Mestalla. Yeah, when you drive around and you know you're in a, with a taxi driver, like oh look, this is they have a local name for it, but like it's like they call it something like the ghost. Like no one's ever going to live there, and everyone's mad because it's so ugly. God. It's just a cement stadium. Like it's it should be finished. So this is in December 2021. They they released the new numbers for the stadium and it's going to seat 43,000 people. So they went from 80,000 to 43,000. And I think that really just talks about the club's downfall after such a historic period of time where I think it ends with basically Rafa Benitez not getting what he wants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have a, a new takeover in the early 2010s with a guy who everybody's like, oh, he's going to take us to the next level. He basically milks the club for everything they have. They have no money for transfers. They're on at one point the verge of, you know, bankruptcy in La Liga. Um, so they sell all their best players, literally any prospect, they're selling them for as much money as they can get. Mm-hmm. And I think they've made like Champions League every now and then just by the, the amount of talent they have. But I think... Knowing what we know about Valencia today, it's crazy that they could have won at that period of time against a Real Madrid team and a Barcelona team that were 
you know, people these days, all they do is talk about the, or at least like the upcoming generation, mm-hmm. the Galacticos at that time and everything yeah. like that. To make it to two Champions League finals, still having the team together to come and grind out uh, La Liga year off and then win again, I think that's that's a cult team right there. 100%. And I think La Liga's lost a lot from not having Valencia because our generation, for example, when I was coming up, coming into football, you had, of course, the Galacticos, you had Barca. Yep. And then when you were asked, who's the third team in Spain? No doubt it was Valencia. They were actually fighting you know, against the power. They were competing. And the difficulty of going to two straight, two straight Champions League finals... Granted, they lost both, but that type of longevity, and that was still before then, like you said, they won the league twice, just makes me super uh, super nostalgic because it was... Uh, I, I think we all miss out by not having a Valencia, by not having a third city in Spain. And I know like Sevilla has done their work in Europe, etc., but they never come close over 38 matches, right? So yeah. it's... Um, it, it's quite sad uh, in that sense, the story. And then it's insult to injury when you have a, a stadium called the new version of your stadium across the street, which and is going to be, it's going to end up smaller, <laughs> smaller and just outdated by the time it's finally oh, done. Man. That's kind of crazy. I think it, we're it, seeing the same thing, by the way, with Everton. Yeah. Could, could be headed that way now with the new ownership as well, but new ownership. Yeah. But I, you know, when it's really interesting and, Going in the course of 38 games, 38 matches, have you? If you see the recent recent seasons, there's always the team like I always talk about them. Sociedad have been that team that's been up there for 75 percent of yeah. the season. They're maybe two points behind the leaders. Sometimes they're even in the top. This is the mo- more recent years. Yeah, and they just don't have the. They have to play the perfect game and have no injuries for every every eighty percent. Yeah, eighty percent of the season, and that's not mm-hmm. realistic. No. Um, and then you have these teams like you look at the Barcelona bench. I mean, it's it's ridiculous right now that the the depth and the money that they can pay. Um, and one thing that we didn't touch about is the pay structure in La Liga, where the mm-hmm. rights, where I think Barcelona gets like forty nine percent of. TV revenue. It's not an even split like it is in not um, at all. I think what Premier League it, or there's like a guarantee essentially. Right. There's a minimum. The minimum, yeah. yeah. In La Liga, that's not the case at all. So you have the Segunda boys coming up and they're just a punching bag for the full year because they don't have money. Yeah. I mean, if you look at transfer market right now, some of the lower La Liga teams, their budget for transfers is like five to 10 million. That's crazy. It's crazy. That, like that's the, not making, that's why I think La Liga is the worst league mm. um, out of the, out of the big ones. That it's, it's a shame. It's a shame in that sense, because it's, we're not going to probably have another Valencia or when we go into my team that I picked as a cult, like, it just can't happen. That gap is too big. And like, let's not make this, you know, the classic discussion about, oh, we need to, you know, reinvent football and everything. But I think when we, the fact that this podcast exists and a big reason why it exists is to tap into that nostalgia for other times and see these champion, these teams. And uh, of course, well, you and I both support what are considered big clubs consistently, right? But yeah. that doesn't mean we don't want it to be competitive. Well, just think about it this way. If you have a team that goes back-to-back Champions League final and then they don't go back in 2001, mm-hmm. or let's say it's today's day and age, where the mm-hmm. team goes to the Champions League. Like, imagine Liverpool goes to the Champions League final that year. It's like two times in a row they lose again, but then they don't have Champions League the year after. Right, You're losing Mane, Firmino, or Salah. Yeah. Yeah. In today's day and age, because they're either them or the clubs like we can't we can't pay or we're not going to pay that. We need the money coming in for this season. And there's clubs out there that are that would just snatch up all your best players. And I think that would happen where I think back then, I don't want to say it's like loyalty to the club, but it wasn't as the gap wasn't as big unless you're going to go to 
one of the Milan clubs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man U, maybe Arsenal, Real Madrid, Bayern, or Barcelona. Well, so, yeah, and Valencia did this when Real Madrid under Florentino Perez bought the world with Luis Figo, with David Beckham, with Zinedine Zidane. They had Raul up front. I, like, you can go on and on and on, but ultimately, they still had a shot on the pitch. Now you, you don't even get that far. Yeah. And I that's mean, the, the big difference. Um, and what, one thing, um, little, uh, little thing that you forgot to mention on Valencia is how bad of a state they were in a few years ago that they called in your man, Gary <laughs> Neville, to manage the side. That was, I think, the, the absolute downfall. Not your man. I think he's an absolute twat. <laughs> um, so say that what you will. Every, I mean, ugh. I can talk for days about how annoying that guy is, but um, second mention he gets on this podcast. Actually, he was part of uh, honestly, our it's too, too many. Yeah, yeah, it's too too many, too um, too many. Um, yeah, he came in to to coach Valencia. Didn't know a word of Spanish, and by no means did he ever try learning the language. No, and he didn't have tactical knowledge whatsoever. His last game, I think, was against was it Barcelona. I think it was against Barcelona. He yeah. lost 7-0 and got sacked. But then he went on. This is the best part. He goes on social media and tells everyone he's decided to step down for the good of the club. No, you Own got fired because you, <laughs> you suck at your job and you haven't had a job since. And you're now an annoying TV pundit. <laughs> Roy's true colors coming out when it comes to his former Man U rival. But uh, what, last thing on Valencia here, uh, just some love to to some of those players at the time. We mentioned Santi Canizares in goal, but a certain Roberto Ayala from Argentina in defense, like incredible. Albelda, yeah. Albelda from Spain as a CDM. They had at one point, and this was really a different era of football, Gaiska Mendieta, who ended up at Middlesbrough, and he was kind of this, it was this era where you had like players like Rui Costa and stuff who were creative, maybe not necessarily fast, but could do whatever they wanted in the midfield. Um, Rod Carew up front playing in the 2001 Champions League final. Rod Carew, yes, that Rod Carew from Norway. Um, Just uh, Pablo Aymar, who was the guy that just worked harder than Juan Roman Riquelme in the pre-Messi era uh, of Argentina. Kili Gonzalez, who ended up going to uh, to Inter with uh, with Hector Cooper, their coach. I mean, star star studded in a way, but they just they made it work. They made it work, and uh, and they still had, like you said, then they had great players coming later, where they had Juan Mata, David Villa, David Silva, all on the same squad, uh, and couldn't make it work. Yeah, couldn't make it work, maybe because those players were all the Juan Mata and David Silva, the yeah. era of the same player. Um, that's a it's it's crazy. the The downfall is really sad. I'm, I, I think we talked about this offline. Can you imagine being somebody who's, let's say, thirteen years old and really thirteen, fourteen, mm-hmm. really starting to understand football and becoming a fan? and you're from Valencia and you're there for life now, like you are not going to be following or loving another club. Can you imagine starting that in, let's say 1998? Brutal. And now what you must be feeling as, you know, uh, somebody probably in what their forties or uh, (laughs) you're probably like just so upset every year. Um, they're going to write us a cease and desist letter because we did this episode, probably. Hey, we didn't get anything after the Blackburn episode, so... No, it, that's true. Well, they love us in Blackburn now. I mean, yeah. we're just like their fan cast. Absolute banter. And where do we, now that he's basically been out of any relevant jobs for years, if we look at Rafa Benitez's career arc and his influence on the game, where do we rate him? Yeah, so I think he was an eras coach. An eras coach. What do you mean? So I think he had a period where, like I said, introduced four two three one, which by two thousand and ten, every single club was 
starting to use that formation. Mm -hmm. And then I think this is where at the end of the 2010, we started seeing the false nine um, in Spain coming out from Pep Guardiola mm -hmm. with uh, that same thing, David Villa dropping in there um, to the, the nine position. But coming into the early 2000s, he was like the tactical nuance led him to some really big results, positive performances. He had a system, mm -hmm. system players. Um, and when some, one of those players were taken away from him, if he could not retool, you start to see he leaves shortly afterwards. Fernando Torres exhibit B. Xabi Alonso. Mm. Yes. Javi Mascherano. So, yeah. 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 Um, so, and I think we've seen it in recent years, you know, with Newcastle, he did magic from a, and the, the fans didn't like it because he had no money to get the players he wanted. So he was doing the system in 2016 to, to 19, the system with bad players under a bad owner, Mike Ashley. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but like, you can kind of just look at his, his journey since 2001. So 2001 to four, he's at Valencia. Mm -hmm. Then he has probably maybe, Arguably his strongest time in 2004 yeah, to 10 with Liverpool, yeah. peak Benitez. Definitely. And he had one of the most electric players I've ever watched with Fernando Torres. El there. Nino, what they call you around those parts. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I had the same move as Torres on the pitch, <laughs> getting yeah, injured. The hamstring tear. Um, <laughs> yeah. There goes the knee. Um, then he goes to Inter. You, you talked about it a oh, little yeah. bit. He wasn't even there for a season. Fireworks. He, um, he takes over an Inter team which just won the treble. Mourinho's gone to Real at that time. He comes in, uh, starts rubbing already a bunch of players uh, the wrong way, including uh, Samuel Eto'o, who, uh, who's had his feuds with certain managers. And uh, they get, they're in the World Club Cup final. They win it. And then he comes out in a press conference and basically tells everyone uh, in the club uh, hierarchy to F off. And then uh, he's not there by the new year. Is that somewhat similar to what Antonio Conte? It feels like a, he looked at, Antonio Conte looked at the Rafa Benitez the <laughs> interview, the playbook, and said, this is exactly what I'm going to do, but enhance it a little right, bit. Right, exactly. Now Conte has um, become the, the master of doing it after a season and a half at every club. Yeah. So then... He, he doesn't have a job for a couple of years, probably because of the way he left mm -hmm. Inter. He gets into uh, always stable Chelsea as an interim manager in 2012-13. Wins the Europa League with them at the end of that season. Yeah. Then he heads over back to Italy and Napoli for 2013-15, to 15, I believe, taken over by Sarri afterwards. After by Sarri. And those, those two years with Napoli is when they bring in... Pipita Higuain, Callejon, Pepita. Mertens. Uh, and people thought, you know, if somebody's going to do it there, it's going to be Rafa Benitez, but it doesn't happen. They were wrong. Yeah. Then he goes over, you know, back mm. to his, his, his boyhood club, Real Madrid. Um, first season, leaves. Doesn't last the season, I think, even. No, no, he, Does he, 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 he gets fired right after the season ends because they didn't get what they needed. Okay, because I thought then Zizou comes in and wins the Champions League in 16. No, no, okay. he, he, he lasted the, the okay. season. Um, goes to Newcastle for three years. And so at this point, he's probably around late 50s in age. Yeah. He goes to Dalian Professional in china yep. <laughs> for two years probably is good to go doesn't need to hassle anymore and and coaching can retire but he decides to then really just cement his legacy by going to everton in 2021-22 and almost sends them to relegation yeah frankie lampard has to take over from him and what i think Apart from the picture just not looking right, Benitez in the in the Everton tie and the fans never having warmed to him from the beginning, it was just like, it was kind of like Why? he, he had never moved on with the times. Like he was approaching matches in the same way he did in 2010. 
Yeah, but also like why? You you were at Liverpool for so many years. The fans obviously are gonna actually hate you. Yeah. Any result that goes poorly, they're going to want your head. Like that's so stupid. You you could go anywhere you want it. Yeah, I mean relatively. That had an opening. Why would you go to Everton? If you know like your system player, you probably need a lot of money to get who you want in. You already knew what it was dealing for la- for three years with a player like a club like Newcastle, where you didn't get what you wanted, and the results weren't great. So why do that and go to Everton? It's ridiculous. But now he's still coaching. He's at Celta de Vigo back in Spain. I'm not sure where they sit in the table, but um, we haven't talked about them. They're not at the top, so I'm assuming they're yeah just wandering along the league. So. Um, yeah, Rafa Benitez. I mean, it's quite an arch in that sense. I mean, he could have been because he's in that age range actually of 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 Carlo, right? So he could have still been relevant had some of these moves been been done more wisely, or had he not been such a prickly character and, and moved on with the times. Um, yeah, interesting one. Yeah. Even that Madrid thing. Yeah. So I'm looking at it now because I want to save you from from the listeners' heat coming for you. Uh-oh. He gets sacked on January 4th, 2016. And uh, and then Zizou comes in and they win that Champions League final on penalties against uh, against Atleti. Uh, and then there's that, that Zizou cycle, which we'll, we'll have to get into that on another episode. But yeah, Rafa Benitez... Definitely peak uh, at Liverpool winning 2005 Champions League, going back to the final in 2007 with with two teams that honestly, yes, there were there were solid players on those teams. Don't get me wrong, and uh, stellar players even. Okay, Xabi Alonso's and whatnot, but you can't compare during that stretch of time the squad Liverpool had with the other big boys in Europe. Like, they overachieved for that stretch. And I think in big part because he brought a tactical approach that nobody else was bringing to the game. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Rafa Benitez. Uh, Apparently, though, also what you hear when you hear uh, his former players who it didn't work for, they don't like him. Yeah. And he didn't make – he's not a war manager. Like, uh, you know, hand on the – you know, hand over the shoulder, like – helping you out kind of thing he's very isolated tactical which is fine when things are working but i think if you're a fringe player or somebody who's not in the system week in week out it's probably very tough for you to really like or even respect the guy yeah rafa benitez i mean i i wish him all the best uh at uh, at celta vigo uh big rivals of deportivo la coruña who little teaser We'll, we'll talk about in a future episode Ooh. here. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's how it goes. Some keep up with the times, some... I mean, and I don't want to just to Carlos Horn all the time, but Carlo knew his limits. He knew, hey, look, I'm a big man manager. By the way, Carlo also uh, stopped by Everton for a moment there. Uh, and What a terrible and club. He knows how to do it with the big players and the big egos because he doesn't let his ego take over, right? And that's why he's been able to do at Madrid what Jose wasn't able to do at Madrid, for example. Yeah. No love loss for uh, for Jose on uh, on this podcast. No, no. But didn't he win? Last thing, didn't he win the league in 2011? He won, he, with he won a league with Madrid, and I think that's, that's all he won there, uh, right? Hey. Yeah, I think, but still, that I think he also got one of the Copa del Reyes, that Gareth Bale, yeah. <laughs> that that goal. I think before uh, it's the one where Sergio Ramos then drops the cup from the bus and it gets run over by the front wheel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what a guy! What a guy! So yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought Valencia as uh, as our first edition of this because it's. Uh, it is really quite a quite a story, quite a run they had. Yeah, um, and let's just do a full full circle moment from the beginning of the pod, asking about the American boys. You guys fleeced Valencia for the money. You know they still need the money. You got Musa. Yeah, he there. came from there, Yunus Musa. So, well, let's see. At the moment, uh, I'm not I'm not thanking him for. I have high hopes. He's an Arsenal Arsenal Academy. Well, they they all are, aren't they? Also, Benacer, who's been out injured the whole season but uh let's uh let's see so yeah 
anything to wrap on Valencia? Other no. than uh, listeners, make... listeners, go to go to the city. Lovely, um, you know. No, the city doesn't start downtown until about 10 a.m. on the weekends. It's closer to about 11. No joke. Trying to get a coffee before 9 a.m. was near impossible. Um, and sneakily, really good Lebanese food scene. So hey, well there you go. You heard it from the source. You heard it from the source. Working and sponsored by the tourism board of the Valencian community, Roy Cycli. Um, listeners. We're going to come back with an episode on... Should I spoil it? Don't, Don't spoil, spoil it. it. You already gave a little okay. teaser. We're going to come back with an episode of... Uh, the Boys. The Boys. My Boys. Uh, a cult Spanish team, which is very dear to my heart. Uh, but in the meantime, start writing us with what cult teams you'd like us to go into. Uh, do not pull a Roy and say that... 2004 to 7, Real Madrid Galacticos underrated. Unbelievable. That's not a cult... I mean, look at the players. Uh, Julio La Bestia Baptista, John the Baptist from Brazil. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave it with John the Baptist. And listeners, we'll hear you soon. <laughs>